Hello, this is Matt Hale bringing you the Art Monthly Talk Show on the Clear Spot. That's Resonance Radio, of course. And um, we've been doing many shows over the years here now, and uh, we're very grateful to Resonance for letting us do the programmes. Um, my name's Matt Hale, and I'm joined today by Morgan Quaintance and Lizzie Homersham. Hello, guys. Thanks very much for coming in. It's all right. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no, really, you. it's very much appreciated. It's a humid evening in the old studio tonight. And we're just going to have a nice, gentle conversation about two features these guys have written, which are published in the current July-August issue 2016 of Art Monthly. Now, um, when I say features, they're like articles, basically, and they're quite, um, well, dense is the word I would probably use, quite quite a lot of words in them, and um, some quite interesting ideas, big ideas, um, as ever, and... We we often make com, you know crossovers between the two things when we when we come in like this we find them as we go along usually and the first one which we're going to start with is is Morgan's feature now Morgan what did you call your piece do you, did you well, have I, a, did actually it? I didn't call it it's called a liquid assets because I, I've learned over the time writing features for Art Monthly that you guys basically choose the title so this time around I I didn't put I didn't put one very forward very wise that, but I can tell you that there there was a title in my own mind. That was driving the piece, but this kind of didn't really make sense. It would misdirect people if I used it, which was the hollow middle. Uh, but I didn't use that in the end. Oh, that's interesting, though. What, so, do you want to tell us what you were thinking about, or was that? T- yeah. T- so t- the hollow, yeah. Mi- the hollow middle. The idea was really. Um, uh, so I, I was interested in thinking about the art market, or thinking about how um, well f- finance and, and stuff works in relation to the art into our objects and I'd read a couple of books one was called Big Bucks by uh, an author called Georgina Adams and the other one was called Art as Investment by someone called Melanie um, I think it's Gerlis so basically uh, but the, the thesis is put forward in both of these books um, led me to a conclusion about the state of play in the art world which is that um, uh, art isn't being sold or bought, sorry, across the board, you know, so not everybody's making loads of money off art, even though contem- the market for contemporary art is booming and has overtaken sort of old masters and like mid-century abstraction. And what's happening is that um, what's something called investment grade art, which is like in the millions, is selling really well. Uh, and also people are speculating um, on entry. So people who are just kind of emerging into the market and having this kind of um, uh, bright flaring of interest. Uh, and I, the example I used was a, the, the sort of group called the Zombie Abstractionists who are out of New York. It's people who are doing kind of process-based abstract um, work, so masses of amounts of it, and that was selling for high prices, but it's kind of bottomed out, nobody's buying it anymore. So for me, that represented kind of two extreme spectrums of this idea of sales. So at the top end, uh, sales people were buying a lot of investment grade work and at the bottom, they were buying uh, or speculating on these artists who were emerging. And that left a hollow middle where nobody was buying anything really and nobody was eating because they weren't making any money. So, so you, that's- you mean more established artists in this middle I mean, everybody, the, the hollow middle is the art world. Okay, I see. The, the top end investment grade work kind of it, it stands outside of the art world in a way, although it feels to me like the discourses, exhibitions, the stuff that we're doing now all imbues um, that stuff with a kind of base level of meaning that people can rely on in order to justify why it is they're buying the works. They kind of, they're just sort of, um, I, I don't know, objects that are worth loads of money. 
And I don't necessarily see that being tied to um, discourses or anything to do with value. They're sort of... Anyway, I, can't, I don't really want to get too much into that. But no, no, don't. I was basically just saying... Um, yeah, it's kind of blue chip art there, but in the, in the middle, it's kind of everybody. It's like um, it's even pe- arts professionals. It doesn't necessarily just relate to artworks. It's like people like me. I, I work as a critic or a broadcaster. I'm not really making that much money. Or you, who is working at Art Monthly, you're in the hollow middle. We're all trying to since the um, cuts that came in 2010, we're all trying to make money. That's the UK Arts Council cuts yeah yeah so we're all struggling we're not trying to make money but we're all trying struggling to make a living and we're finding it really difficult uh while at these other ends of the spectrum uh, money seems to be flowing quite easily i think that's also in the um i guess mid-level or emerging commercial galleries or project spaces that have aspirations to take off in a in a different way in some years to come i, I guess yeah, it's, it's yeah. this whole problem of like how do you make what you're doing sustainable i think yeah yeah and so basically um my problem what i what i suspected was that, um well a number of different things really i i've come to feel lately that we're living through a period of um social and political uh change or, or action or a politi- social and political cultural dynamic that is as significant as, say, 1969 or 1989. These are two periods that the art world sort of fetishizes and um, reflects on as if there were times where we were kind of in a, um, like I, I, I say this thing, like a kind of perpetual symposium. Everybody was talking and reflecting about politics. Artists really had a sense of purpose. Art magazines were courageously talking about things. And I... I I just thought we're in a moment as significant as that today, but there's a pervasive silence about everything. You wouldn't know it. If you picked up any other arts magazine apart from Art Monthly, (laughs) you'd have no idea of the context behind what's going on. And a case in point is Freeze's recent um, commissioning of of asking people for their observations on either was it the eu referendum or was yeah, it, it brexit was, um, it, it was, was the referendum yeah uh, but i don't it was just prior to it the was vote. just prior yeah, to yeah. prior to the vote and it was like see if you just read if you you know people do those thought experiments and someone's from an alien from another planet and they came or an alien from another planet who just subscribed to freeze and suddenly saw this thing they'd like what this has come out of nowhere it's like a moment of madness for the british public it's because Austerity hasn't been covered at all in that magazine. Um, uh, political uh, activism hasn't really been covered in that magazine or artworks that cover those spheres haven't really been covered in that well, magazine. they're covered in a particular way, I think. I think with a, with a degree of avoidance of the real difficult issues. Yeah, but I and wonder what, what particular examples do you think of, though, in relation to that coverage? Of... Please. Like, what specific... I mean, let's say there's one particular... I mean... Let's say the housing, what's been dubbed the housing crisis. Now, what particular coverage could you point to in, in Freeze magazine that deals with that particular dynamic? Housing? I can't think of off the top of my yeah, head. I can't think of one monthly. But, one of the most Freeze, but, 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 but maybe here's an example of, um, I guess, uh, you refer to, you refer broadly to the situation, uh, the political situation, the kind of current affairs situation we are in now um in your piece and you refer to war in the middle east like there might be um a piece in freeze that talks about forensic forensic architecture so you know it'd be but it will be covered in a very like particular way it won't um you 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 said something really important there yeah it will talk to you about the middle east 
like, like as if things aren't happening in this country that yeah. need to be addressed. Or as That's... if things aren't happening in this country and that are part of the art world and that have particular impacts in terms of influencing politics, influencing press, and that isn't all part of the same system. Yeah, but, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You mean a I, sort I, of separation? Yeah, but a I careful, think... careful, yeah, a just, careful, like, ooh, don't offend anyone, sort of... But just to sort approach. of go back to um, my point, really, was that um, I was sort of saying there's specific flashpoints, um, moments, things that are happening in this country that aren't being covered... One of which is the housing and planning bill. Now, we've, I, don't, I don't know if listeners are familiar with that, but it's a piece of legislation that the government has put through that's going to be an end to social housing. That mm. is a massive uh, alteration of our lives. That's going to mean that's going to have uh, drastic ramifications for anybody living in, in this country, but particularly in London. But and as how far artists as artists can afford, and there are yeah. artists and and art, people working in these crossover ways between art and activism and, you know, like you put Sisters Uncut in your show, A Public Resource at Cubit, but maybe those those groups aren't getting coverage in freeze or these problems are being kind of glossed over. Or, for example, there would be the talk at freeze, which you covered in Eflux Conversations, that talks about housing in this kind of preposterous way. Yeah, so, so basically what I feel is that... Um, so the, the, I end the article by saying the art world is one of the last p- cultural spheres where challenges to state power can take place whether or not they have any effect or not. Mm. And the thing is, there's a lot of artists who are working and making um, politically engaged work that's sophisticated conceptually and aesthetically, and that's not being covered. And not just not being covered, but when political art comes into exhibition, it's kind of being downplayed or the politics is being sucked out of it and the apolitical is being foregrounded. And also, I wanted to point out in the article, the ascendancy of a big commercial empire, which is Freeze. And because of the cuts that were instantiated in 2010 by George Osborne, it's created a climate in the art world where people are clamouring for private finance. And once you start to do that... You're, all, you're almost in this position where you're always already compromised. Um, and so I kind of wanted to go into this dynamic and try and pull out a few examples of how this is working in the art world and then to offer it up to the readers to sort of be a bit more aware of what is actually going on. To be fair... This is only one of a few articles that I have planned. This is supposed to be a long series of of works that are going to cover this subject Mm -hmm. from different angles. So this one is particularly about private finance, but the next one is going to be about artists who are making politically engaged work. And so I think a number of, like, basically the silence in this particular moment in time, I found difficult to believe. And I thought this is worthy of investigation also, the lack of coverage for artists who I think are making politically engaged work was suspect. Also, um, the ascendancy of an organisation like Freeze at a time when other galleries are shutting and the ability for an organisation like Freeze to secure government finance when that government finance is being taken away from galleries that are closing. Yeah, because you do actually say that, I mean, Freeze gets quite a lot of Arts Council funding. Freeze gets yeah. loads of Arts Council and, money. And, and it has various foundations and things that enable it to do this. I mean, I was, I was struck by that because actually that, that... I think that the ACE funding structure actually, funnily enough, 
you could say that freeze fits what the bill Absolutely. they want yeah. this is more because you're supposed to have outcomes is the word they use. So in other words, yeah. if you... You quote that they, they they sell tickets to people £34 are going to freeze, but they've got Arts Council funding for the talk that you will go to. But actually, that's what the Arts Council say when you fill in a form for, for, a, for a grant. That's what they well, want. The they actually, it's actually, agenda it's, is the Arts Council that's it's encouraging it. To, it's well, weird. the Arts Council has a government yeah, directive. A, a directive yeah, I think and so. the Arts Council is being told institutions, organisations cannot be dependent and they cannot expect continual funding at a particular level from the Arts Council. They can't kind of rest on their laurels and just think, like, OK, we're going to but, get but this freeze of it for quite a while. In. Well, they have, but they're also... But that they're doesn't, also a that model doesn't necessarily, example for the Arts Council. But that doesn't Unfortunately, necessarily mean, I don't think this is a good thing, but, but the Arts Council is saying, like, OK, you're going to have this much this year, next year you're going to have a bit less because you will, in that time, have been able to court some private funding and have made some steps in your development. private funding isn't all bad. And this is the point as well I'm making the article. But it is a problem if you've got to continually, um, you know... Yeah, yeah, that might and, that, and run but after the, it when you pe- might be a very small organisation with not very many people. Able but to I do think we—that's one of the things that I think people need to. Um, one of the things that I wanted to point out in this article, when I was specifically speaking about the Tate, is that they're in a really strong position to be able to pick and choose in what's called the corporate sponsorship market. Yeah, but they cho- chose to align themselves with BP. And they bent over backwards to accommodate BP. Yeah. Actually, they created a bespoke package to attract BP. Yeah. And they weren't going to like Trucker Joe's, uh, <laughs> a, a, a trucking company or Women on the Tools over here, or which is an organization. <laughs> they, I mean, like, but you're laughing. But the thing is, it's like this no, yeah. is. You but you're laughing di- because no, you've no, also. No, I think it's good to divert. I think but maybe you've what also, you're saying I mean, why, is why let's is diversify that, but, our sources of private funding. Sure, but why that is that funny great. to you? Why, why were you laughing about it? Because I feel like you've been enculturated no, so I much so. I'm, I'm not mocking that position. But why was that I funny? Think, no, but, because, because it's unheard of. I think it's... Um, exactly. It's, so you've no, been enculturated I, no, no, into no. a specific way of looking at the art world. I'm laughing because it's a novel idea, but one that I, would, uh, be, that I would welcome. I know that, yeah, there are artists who will seek particular sources of funding, like, um, I don't know, not such unheard of ones, but, you know, like from Mubi because they have some aspect of their work that is consistent with that. Or, um, but this is, this is also Stark a problem, this is is also a problem for, for artists too. Where and it's also a problem for people who position themselves on the kind of radical left. For example, I, you're... No, that's you're, not you're, my position. But you're, but you're, but you're involved in the organisation. What's the one? The Boycott Zabladovich Gallery. That's what you're involved in, right? The OBS. Is that what it's called? Um, BDZ. BDZ. And one one of the things that I also wanted to talk about, but I couldn't get into this, is a myopia that is also, I think, afflicting specific lobbies. So, for example, you might have a problem with them, but you're you're happily right for freeze, right? Um, I would write for freeze. I haven't done. But this for a is long what time. I mean. But I feel let, like. Let but explain. what I'm saying is, I think um, what the point is is that because politics has kind of been pushed to one side. It creates a situation where resistance also is something that I feel isn't practiced across the board. And it's kind of it's okay on one level to say we're going to boycott this organization. But then when it comes to things that might actually have an effect on your career in another way, people are a bit reluctant. And I wanted to kind of smash that reluctance or, 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 or throw 
throw a stone at the window of sort of decorum and say, you don't have to be this way. There's <laughs> yeah. other ways to be. Look, I think um, maybe my position, maybe you've assumed certain things about my position that aren't um, accurate because, well, for one, I'm no longer directly involved in BDZ. I support that campaign, but I found it extremely aggressive in various ways and had to um, just take a step out because of a kind of particular kind of playing out of politics on an interpersonal level that I disliked. Okay, also... The reason, um, the, sorry, the, fa- the failing of that organisation is that they have no answer. I was at the same event that you were at a few days ago, when a, about a few, sorry, a couple of months ago, where an artist said, why should I boycott Zabladovich? What if they come up to me and offer me a show? Mm. What do I do then? I don't have any money. I've got no way to live. And then the answer was somebody else was saying, oh, then you may, your practice might get better if you just involve other people or you sign a petition. And I, basically what I'm saying is like... There isn't a viable alternative if you just want to make a show which is kind of apolitical and doesn't involve, I don't know, a kind of socialist participatory um, element to it. And I think... Let me get one thing straight. The reason the reason I might um, be fine and admit that there, that there are certain difficulties or that you might not... You might not love working for XYZ, other privately funded um, institution or or whatever. But actually, there are no other things that I um, oppose in a specific way. The case with Zabludovich is that it is a collection that um, is boycottable according to PACB, um, which is the Palestinian call for a cultural boycott, and this is a particular moment historically now where the situation is such in Palestine that there is a call for a cultural boycott. And this is, it has been recognised. This is the thing. That, Why are we talking this, about Palestine? I'm trying to talk about what's happening no, but, here in no, this I'm, country. I'm, talking to, I'm saying why specifically... I will not work with Zabludovich, but I'm fine with. But we other know why you won't funding. work with Zabludovich because you wrote an article about it. So why are you saying yeah, that you're not going to? Certain things about my position, and I will. But I know what your position is in relation to Zabludovich Gallery. Yeah, but I don't. So have if you're going to explain a different position, do that in relation to another organisation. So you're saying I don't have a problem with working for Freeze. So why is that? Because it doesn't have a direct relationship. But that's because you, you probably haven't looked into it deep enough. It's happy for you to sit here and say, oh, there's death in Palestine. And because this woman funded arms, I can see a direct correlation. But you're not looking into the housing crisis in this country and saying, well, actually, maybe some of the pe- property owners that Freeze are catering for, the same people who are buying property here and dispossessing people in this country. Have you thought about that? Have you thought I about have, the fact that Freeze Art Fair happens at the same time as MIPIM? See, now this is the retreat that people take. This is the position that people... Well, I <laughs> this think is the same thing that you say. That's what BDZ yeah. say to people who aren't following them. So that's why I think it's deeply flawed, this logic that you're expending. I think, I think there's no easy way. I think, you have to, I think you have to make certain judgments according to your own... Um, what is tolerably consistent with what you want to, ch- to achieve in your work and what is possible in a conditions of possibility that are the current situation. And that might entail a level of pragmatism and saying yes to certain things and saying no to others. So you're, I, but basically me, you're no happy way. to... There's no... So I, this is I what think, I'm not cool with. I'm not cool with like saying it's okay... Like, if people are dying in Palestine, that's really significant. And so if there's a woman and her name is Anita Zabladovich, and I'm going to say boycott her organisation... There's also many other boycottable 
Sure, sure. You, uh, I'll let you say what you're going to say. Stream, Maybe blah, blah, blah. let me say what I'm going to say. Yeah, so yeah, go I, I have to, I'll have to start coming in a minute. This is the <laughs> program I've said the least and the program I've ever done, I have to say. It's good to have an argument. I'm all for it. But let, let's try to let Morgan say a bit more yeah. about his piece. Okay. Yes, yeah, true, actually. <laughs> he sort of jumped in. And I haven't really, yeah, people let, are probably like not really knowing what the article's about. Well, no, so, the subtleties of it, because you've got some examples in there as well. I mean, you mentioned the Whitechapel, you mentioned the yeah. Serpentine. So like basically, that. what I was trying to say was um, that you get a kind of atmosphere that furnishes a new common sense. Mm. And that when you have this new common sense, certain things seem ridiculous. For example, like me saying, why don't you have Trucker Joe's company supporting your exhibition? That would elicit a response similar to what you just did. I don't, I'm not trying to... I'm fine with make, Trucker Joe's sponsoring an exhibition. I have no problem with it at all. But you found ref- it funny. It would, and no, I think people find... No, I found it... I love because it would be refreshing and it's, it would, it's so unheard of. Like, why not? I'm fine with other advertising okay. with other sources of funding, sure. with a diversification of that. Sure, sure. That would be great. Well, it creates a new common sense where things like that might seem ridiculous to some. And it also means that when you pull exhibitions into your gallery or your institution that have a politics involved, there can be a situation in which those politics get filtered out because of that common sense. And I use the example of... Um, the electronic superhighway exhibition that was at Whitechapel Gallery as an example of a clear filtration taking place. And uh, basically it was to do with the fact that, um, let's say the history of computers and, and technology in relation to art is fraught with politics, a politics. It's fraught with, um, I guess, on the one hand, corporations supplying materials for artists to work with, and on the other, artists kind of interrogating corporations or interrogating technological systems but all of that seemed to be kind of filtered out and what we were left with was an exhibition that was broadly about a kind of narcissistic engagement with um, technologies or a critique of technology that didn't actually wasn't actually directed at anybody that would entail personal risk you see so there's one thing you can do um, and I think maybe this is a, a different a kind of bugbear that I've had recently is that sometimes I think institutional critique is a, is a situation where you have your cake and you eat it too. If you say, for example, if I say, um, if you say that I have a, you, you have a problem with um, financial, some sort of situation where somebody's being exploited, and you give it an abstract name, but you don't name the person who's instantiating that um, situation, it enables you to do the critique, and it also enables the person responsible for for um inaugur- for creating that situation that you're critiquing to come to it and have a look at your project but if you name the person who's responsible for instantiating that situation that you're critiquing that would be very difficult for them to be a part of the project too and so that's why i was like i just felt like it needed to be less about um, trying to maintain yourself uh, by being polite and trying to not burn bridges and to sort of just come out there and call it as you see it. But do you think it's possible to... I don't think it's possible to name a series of... I don't think it's possible to name a series of individuals that are kind of the guilty parties in this way. But that's because, well, it's, it's a case... But it means you'd have to look at a specific situation. Yeah. For example, Focus E15 mums, right? So they were a, a group of people who um, became sort of politicised because they were being locked out of their, um, I think, local um, community centre or, or local sort of shelter for women. 
And they found out that it was this guy, a specific guy who was a councillor in Newham. I can't remember the guy's name. But the campaign involved confronting this person with what he had done in relation to them. Mm. So that's a clear example of someone saying this is the person involved. They're not just saying there's a housing crisis. We need to talk about it. There's a specific person. But that wasn't an art project. Yeah, yeah, I know. But there's still ways... That's just an example of identifying mm. something. And in this article, yeah. I've said Matthew Slotifer, Freeze, Ivona Blaswick, Whitechapel Gallery. <laughs> These are names of people. Yeah, I think it's important to illustrate at a certain level. So I'm yeah. just saying, to, um, you asked me how it's done. Yeah. I just told you. And if you yeah. do an art project, it's the same way. You, you mentioned Andrea Fraser in your exhibition. She did a project recently that I think is a case in point of having your cake and eat it to critique. She, so basically on the top floor, what was it? Was it the Whitney? Yeah, she. Um, it was an empty floor where you could look out onto New York City. It was like a beautiful, like nice space, and she used the sound from was it Rikers Island? <laughs> Some birds, wasn't it? No, no, it wasn't birds. <laughs> it was from a prison. Yeah, there was. Yeah. Oh, so you don't you don't know the work. Um, I've read I, I can tell you. So, interview. so the work basically was, was like birds. Andrea. There Fra- was some bird sound involved. So. No, there wasn't any bird sound. It was the sound itself. of a prison. She, she, she took the sound of a prison cell. Mm. Uh, she, she recorded the sound of inmates and piped that into that gallery, right? Mm. So that you could go upstairs and think, "Oh my God, I'm in this beautiful, opulent gallery while people are in prisons." That's a case in point of people doing that uh, sort of ambivalent vague critique because you can bet the same trustees who probably might have money tied up in the prison industrial complex could come to that work and go oh my god what a shame but if she named them if she said your money's going here your money's going there and didn't turn it into some aesthetic event then it would be an issue it'd be that's a clear example you've you've, um, made an example of Hans Hucker who who did that in you know he he would do so the you thing do know how that, to do it then that Andrew Fraser I'm well you just oh, you just said to me how's it done <laughs> yeah that's but, an example but, in the article I've just given you another example yeah and it's a good example I think Hans Hocker's work is is very good yeah I don't what, I don't I think we're ask, actually across missing... purposes as much as no as maybe not. No, but you, just, you asked me a question and I had to respond to it <laughs> no, because no, it, I felt yeah. to me like no. you must know yourself if you think about it yeah There's exa- no, but There's it's no... a genuine question I don't think it's always obvious or that all art um, will will operate in this way. Ah, see, this is the other thing. When you start talking about politics, people quickly start talking about how all art can't be this way. I'm not saying all art no, should be no. this way. Yeah. I'm just saying that art is a diverse field. And yeah. so far, political art that directly names yeah. people or engages with political it's situations being is being squeezed out, yeah. marginalised yeah. and downplayed. Yeah. And that is a fact. With, yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. Well, yeah. Can I just ask, it's a, for, as an example, was there some video art? Because I know you've written quite a lot about the internet or the intranet, whatever the phrase is, in the Whitechapel show, was there specific artists, say, that were not in it that you would think should have been, given it was supposed to be a history of that of that area? Or, Morgan, sorry, or was there work that, you know, was somehow displayed in such a way that it was sort of suppressed or changed well, by the way they did it? Well, I suppose, like, um, net.art, which, <laughs> like, yeah. 90s, like, net art, uh, the f- sort of first wave of internet art, so-called... Um, that was explicitly political. It was about institutional critique. It was about people calling out the art world. It was about people duping the art world. It was about people using their privilege in the art world to draw attention to the fact that there is such a thing as privilege within the art world. It was about people looking at e-commerce. It was about people looking at the internet and saying, 
this isn't a system of like open ended uh, democratic no. participation. Was, you know, was that missing? All from of the that show? was missing. All yeah. that you saw was a series of images on screens. Yeah, but that's, no that's what I wanted. That's what I, yeah. I want because I think in the end, it, it, yeah. that, if you're saying a show is, didn't work. Then that that's you know I mean it's about in a way it's about yeah, curating I mean, isn't it and it, that that's about curating isn't it that's the power of the curators because there was a group of curators who said did the show but I feel you know in a way I feel I can I get it I, it's a, it's a lot of pressure the higher up you go in the art world the more difficult it is to actually follow through on some things it's really hard yeah. because as soon as you start getting up there people start offering you money people start saying well not sorry that's not the I don't mean people start offering you money but basically. Your social circle becomes slightly different and it becomes more about being around people who want to invest. Um, and then it's about how do you behave in front of those people? Mm. Are you just yourself? What if the things that you believe in are directly in, a con and, and yeah. in conflict with those individuals? How does that work? Yeah. And I think it takes... I don't know. Maybe if you know careers, you know, I, it, it must be difficult for people to do, <laughs> to, to, it's difficult. to do that. But that's the thing. That's the whole point. Yeah. If the art world had a presence, if there was a presence for political art and resistance in the British art world, people would have the energy and the strength to do it because they'd be able to say, if you're going to fund this, you should know contemporary art does this. You yeah. can't fund and contemporary art and think it's going to be this sanitized thing that's going to support you yeah. and it's going to look good because you're a trustee of it. And I think in that way, it's important to look to the 60s and 70s, for examples, not in this kind of nostalgic, let's hark back to that time. But you had, you evoke Jack Burnham here. He was he was writing about some very difficult things. And he, he got so depressed by the art world that he just kind of dropped off the map and, and uh, had this very like hermetic practice and kind of went off and, and into his like mystical, um, Kabbalistic, mm. religious process of reading art and um he was so despairing at the situation but the thing you're pointing to now which is the situation um is something that i've noted jack burnham as having said in the past and there's this interview i've just made a note of before i was coming here um in 1970 he said there are various psychic complications produced by associating with an organization and fighting an ideology behind that organization and that is the mindset that we have that is the situation of the art world. You are in it with these like ideals or things that you want to do, and but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. This is the whole point. Well, if it was, if the if the field of art was more like dynamic and more like more a space of debate. But that is the point. Yeah. That is the point. Yeah, I'm saying let's seize it. Let's seize it. <laughs> let's go you're with it. That I don't agree with you. I must it's a call. Uh, no, so but I'm just trying to say it rather yeah, yeah. than rather than Brilliant. sort of be like um, <laughs> have this sort of scholarly detachment about it. I'm I just saying it. I'm not saying that you do. <laughs> I'm just saying like yeah. I only use those examples from the 1970s because there's clear um, echoes between that time and this time. Yeah. That um, 1973 because of um, the uh, um, uh, Middle Eastern countries withdraw, you know, raising the price of oil because we were messing about in the Middle East. I mean, so we were messing about in, in Palestine and Israel. I just think these things are similar. And it's like yeah. the whole point in using uh, like uh, Mats Kozlov's diatribe against uh, Maurice Tuckman's exhibition was that that was exactly the same dynamic that was happening in the Whitechapel Gallery. If you want to be, if you want to sort of, get down into it and talk about the Zabladovich connection as well. There's arms relating into both of those things. Mm -hmm. But I just, I, you know, I just feel like it's, I don't want to reflect on it. I just want to say we should do something different. Yeah, and, let's, <laughs> and also let's, 
these questions were being debated in mainstream magazines in the 70s, and they're not now. Yeah, like, because those I magazines like are Mon- totally I like sold writing out. for Art Monthly because it feels like one of the few one of the few magazines where you can actually write what you think and not feel like it's going to be a bit counter to the editorial that wants to say, oh, all these problems, like allude in a kind of vague manner to all the problems in the world. Oh, conflict here. Oh, Brexit there. Isn't it great that at least we have art and like there's solace in art and oh, at least there's that. That's not comforting to me. That's deeply worrying that it would be comforting that art could continue in this kind of comforting way. It doesn't, that's actually just censorship really or kind of complacency and just rubbish art that isn't interesting. It's just kind of decoration or it's just like let's suppress debate and critique and difficulty and just kind of play the game according to the rules and according to the easiest route to success and continuation of of what you want to do it's yeah it's not it's not why can i try, can I try you're gonna fill in her bit now yeah we've been talking about <laughs> no, my, i, I do not have to at all no 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 <laughs> no, 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 no because i actually i don't think they're separate and i think that the only thing is that the other what i was going to say was uh, was my question would be, or my statement would be, a bad, probably a bad, a wrong misreading of, of, of Lizzie's piece. But basically, it, when I read it, it seemed to be talking about artists who had a different kind, of, a particular kind of approach, which was empathetic, or you said autistic. It, it, and I think it was metaphorical, or they, they use that as a, almost like a, a style. Um, but by doing that, what, where it connects with what you've been talking about, Morgan, is, is that it doesn't... It might acknowledge a very complicated world, a very complicated situation with many um, problems and, and, and of which you have said a big one, but they don't confront things. Their method is, is one of, of revealing the, the difficulties that they have as people within their artwork, but, then, but they don't actually... They're saying, oh, I can't do anything about it. Is that completely misreading, what, what, what uh, that, you wrote, Lizzie? Yeah, I mean, that's I, I'm quite happy if it, if it is, yeah. it is. Um, Simplification, obviously. So I'm not saying that um, that uh, empathy and autism are being used as an excuse for complicity. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm no, s- well, I so, didn't use the word um, but... Yeah, no, but that is the way that okay. my piece has been framed. Um, yeah, no, it has. It does say it in the intro, you're um, right. So <laughs> I suppose rather what I'm saying, what I want to... Again, I'm, I'm interested in this problem. What are the psychic complications produced by associating with an org- organisation and fighting it? Um, and I think that is the situa- that is the kind of condition of artistic subjectivity. Um, and so in the Chris Krause example, that's described as a schizophrenic um, in a metaphorical way, as a schizophrenic situation. That's, that's, a, that's a book. That she, she, <clears throat> you mean talking, talking about I Love uh, Dick? I Love you? Dick, yeah. There's just a particular passage in I Love Dick um, where she alludes to her economic existential situation as, as being schizophrenic because um, it's fraught with all these difficulties and um, certain things in the art world that she wants to fight, certain things that she wants to be more successful at and... Um, the kind of tension between between those things, um, and I'm wondering. I mean, it's it's a very kind of speculative approach, but I'm wondering if if um, a kind of continuation of the schizophrenic artistic position. And I'm I'm talking 
about these things kind of culturally. I mean, there may well there may well be artists in this piece that I've written who identify as autistic or empathic to excess, um, but I think in in many cases it's also being used. Um, autism and empathy are kind of being used as these sort of um, metaphors, and I'm wondering if they're if they're almost like a kind of splitting of rather than trying to kind of contain contain these contradictions um, of uh, of the situation of operate of the kind of the conditions of operating as an artist, whether rather than being described as schizophrenic, there are some there are these examples of a particular kind of track being taken where one option and it and it then entails all the problems of kind of falling into cliches about about autistic people where um so one approach might be to kind of shut off some of the difficulties some of the kind of um some of the complications and kind of shut shut some of those things out in order to retain a certain level of distance or to produce an artwork without with and block out some of the very um fraught do you want to give an example of an art of an artist's specific work that that fits might fit Um, that to help you use well in in this uh sort of what i would um think of as a kind of bad example would be the the daniel keller example where he sees the autistic subject as being a sort of evolutionary um autism as being a kind of evolutionary um condition that allows you to um operate in a way that is demanded of of um the current economic situation so being highly individualized and um yeah I think what's interesting about your article is that, like, basically, there's a high degree of dilettantism happening, isn't there? So basically, nobody can really engage with um, schizophrenia or autism really with any sense of authority unless they are indeed schizophrenic or autistic. And so, yeah, then you can say, oh, it's a metaphorical exercise, which I think is actually pretty good. What I fa- like, it's funny because I said I was just saying to Lizzie earlier that like I actually was going to write an article with a lot of the same art, uh, <laughs> same artists in it, right? But mine wasn't going to be um, using uh, empathy um, as a kind of sort of evolutionary stage in sort of psychological conditions from sociopath. Uh, sorry, from schizophrenia to empathy. It was going to be along the lines of neurodiversity mm, and about and talking yeah. about like. Um, the, the acceptance that there are different modes of consciousness and that the, the world is made in a specific way, physically, um, psychologically, to sort of uh, benefit those of us who are so-called normal or, or sort of have a kind of normal cognitive capabilities. And I thought that was kind of exciting, really. Yes, it's risky because if you're if you're a dilettante and you're or if you're somebody who doesn't experience these uh, um, psychological um, uh, states, then you're always going to be kind of um, I don't know paraphrase. You don't really know what's going on, so that's kind of risky. But I also think it was kind of exciting as a new horizon, imaginative horizon for artists to try and reach out towards and think, hey, what does this mean for me? How can this fundamentally, if I take my ground as not the norm and as this and this hypothetical ground as the creative norm, what can I do out of it? And also, what kind of social, cultural, and political implications do these things have? So let's say. 
you, you were talking about the subject of empathy. Now, I wouldn't say the opposite of that is, is schizophrenia. I don't think that you were anyway, but no. there's a kind of bureaucratic indifference to bring it back to politics that is pervasive. That's what austerity is basically about. And that's what Mike Lee's new film, I, Daniel Blake, is going to show us. Bureaucratic indifference. How is that possible if you are highly empathetic? Or if, like, um, uh, the, 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 uh, the Daria Martin film is about people who have a condition called mirror-touch synesthesia, which is a different form of synesthesia whereby you have a deep um, intersubjective encounter, right? If I um, touch my chest, you kind of feel that too. Mm. And I thought that's got radical implications for bureaucratic indifference. How do you instill a policy that's going to hurt somebody if you're going to feel that? And rather than saying um, uh, co-opting it or or using that as a kind of um, a cynical way so that you can do some new stuff, Maybe that's just interesting to think through things yeah, in that way, definitely. to use your practice, to, to imbue your practice with a different perspective. So that's what I found sort of quite exciting um, about yeah, and those I artists. I that would yeah. make something like drone warfare completely impossible because that, that requires a detachment that is uh, um, that would be completely impossible because you, you're enacting extreme harm in your your. Um, killing someone from a distance that means you're physically and mentally detached from it and obviously like empathy would be the complete opposite of that um yeah i think yeah i think there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of potential in that idea and that idea of um of trying to see something from someone else someone else's perspective but um i guess i was uh I guess I've seen the subject of empathy crop up a lot in kind of in tech journalism where it's kind of it's positivized to me a bit too quickly. So I I just came across this article last week on medium.com where it says uh, it's called cultivating empathy for the next crisis. And it says things like I find it, you know, I find this article kind of patronizing. It says things like another mass shooting in the United States. It's already been described as a cultural epidemic for years. That trend is growing, not declining. Get ready for it by finding compassion. <laughs> you know, I think these things are, are like, uh, these problems are not going to be solvable by empathy. Sure, it might it might be a nice way to start. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm also not, Valorizing. I think the other problem I had with um, that framing of my article was that I find all of these works very compelling, and I'm just trying to work out what where they're coming from and, and what what relationship, how they how they um, how they're part of a narrative of what's happening to subject object relations and and who um, how we. Um, behave with one another but also how how much distance you might have between yourself and the art object how much how much distance you might have between your audience and the art object you're producing and all these kind of things and I think there's a lot going on in those subject object relations but also interesting one of the things that I think though is that is this is this a phenomenon that's actually happening 
because yeah, sometimes not necessarily. it's yeah, a because, trend I'm really well it's not a trend it's like a thing I'm really interested in and so I found lots of examples and a way of reading artworks according but, to yeah this but not not, not necessarily saying it's just you but this yeah. all, I mean people people make money there's an industry in coming up with um, sort of emotional subjects and using them as a single point of exploration for a whole book so yeah. you can imagine yeah top sh- empathy that's going to sell loads <laughs> yeah. you know it's like and then people come out and they say there's this thing empathy but it's an involuntary emotional response mm-hmm. I, I you know yeah, it, yeah. if you don't possess it then yeah. you'll say it's maybe, very powerful. you can't conjure yeah. it up yeah you? you're like you're a psychopath or you're a sociopath and also there's this other idea which is a simplification of autism as i understand it my limited understanding of it mm. is that actually people who have autism don't lack empathy Mm. And I think that it's part of the problem with a lot of these diagnoses or these reflections on specific conditions tend to come from people who don't, who aren't, don't have them. They're not specialists either. And like just using schizophrenia as like a generative thing. I mean, I, you know, I know people who are schizophrenic. That is like a debilitating condition. It's not. It's not a fruitful position from which to yeah. make work. Well, it's I've, like I've bonkers. Found, like yeah, I've I've found that whole schizo culture. Um, the sort of revisiting of schizo culture um, a couple of years ago really problematic. I've always found that around, I really like uh, Arto's work and writing, but I always have found it problematic the extent to which he's kind of championed in the writing of Deleuze and Guattarian and in uh, uh, Sylvain Lotranger's um, schizo culture book and conferences and stuff, because he was actually suffering from debilitating. Um, problems and that's that's something that is very difficult and that I I find that difficult to use as metaphor because it then um, it allows a certain mode of creativity but it also shuts out serious consideration of the of people who are suffering and finding life difficult because of these Can I just, just mention things meta- that are named schizophrenia or could be named a different thing but have these, yeah. I'm just only going to mention meta- this thing about metaphor because it doesn't... Using metaphor in itself ca- can... It gets contradictory to what you were saying in the first half of the programme, Morgan. To be, to be meta- in a way, to be metaphorical is to, to avoid... In a way, isn't it? It's just to not state clearly about... It's like you said, don't... It's a, it's if you name somebody... It's not metaphorical, is it? You're naming them. But if if I if I use a metaphor, I'm more removed. Well, I don't well, know it's, if it's metaphorical because really we're talking no, about similitudes, about right? We're talking about similitudes. Somebody saying this is like this. Yes. That's not a metaphor. No, that, that's like that, that's somebody saying my exhibition is like that, or right. I, autism is. Or, I don't know. Empath- I don't know. No, no, but it's not <laughs> metaphor. Not saying, no, that's valuable. I'm yeah, just saying it's yeah. not metaphor. I can see what you're saying. Yeah, I'm just saying. No, if that's important. It's a. It's like. One thing is like this. That's sort of different than saying, um, yeah, I, I don't this know. Represent- I don't see it as a metaphor. Well, it's a bit different a, to saying this represents yeah. that. You know, it is saying this is like that. It allows for generalisation to a certain extent. But, but less probably than a lot of metaphors. So you needn't be talking about, when you're talking about schizophrenia, you then needn't be talking specifically about Arto or specifically about your friend who has schizophrenia because it's like in this particular discourse, it's... It's talking about a different thing. But what I think is exciting even, about even the people using, like, um, what I think is exciting about people using autism or whatever understanding they have of autism, even if it is a limited one, if it's a positive understanding, which relates to thinking differently about the world and yeah. one that maybe is about having a bit more compassion or understanding for somebody else, 
then that's kind of exciting. And it's exciting for other human beings to possess that or to think about possessing it or to maybe do some work and pushing people towards finding out a bit more about other neurological conditions or ways of, of viewing the world. And so that's that's why, you know, I think it's exciting for me. I mean, you always I suppose you're always going to get people who are just jumping on something because I don't know, they they think it's a, a neat way to invig- reinvigorate some sort of banal work or get research points. Yeah, I don't know, but I I think um I think it's it can be really important and what is actually exciting about this is actually um the the, the neurodiverse n- neurodiversity lobby having its own voice. I'm interested in that particular sphere i don't really want to hear about other people telling me what autistic people feel anymore i just like so you put you sent that article you remember that one that you're saying yeah, yeah. this guy's reviewing two books on autism one of which i read which is a um, neuro tribes by i think mark silverman which is an amazing book so good and at the end it's about he sort of turns it over and says that almost like that's where you need to be looking towards and i think you know that's I don't know, that's what's exciting to me. Yeah, and that's also what I found exciting about um, Louisa Martin's work. It actually, in a similar way as uh, Steiner Vasulka's work, offered these different perspectives, ways of seeing that you wouldn't, that wouldn't even occur to you and that she's relating to um, her research in autism that is this, you know, different perspectives that you wouldn't you wouldn't occur it wouldn't occur to you to look in this particular way or like round a corner that is kind of impossible but but that might might through access or through thinking about what other people might see or other people might sense that you don't necessarily have access to which sounds like a form of yeah which directed empathy or some sort of trying to help you empathize well it's it's that I suppose empathy is often described as sort of stepping into someone else's shoes or like actually um, rather than listening to their situation and saying, oh, yeah, I get what you're talking about or I, okay, I I have taken in what you've just said. It's more kind of active. It's more like, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to, cr- you might cry this, when someone's just told you a a sad thing that's happened to them. Um, so it's that you know it's actually putting yourself there, yeah, um, and feel and feeling something of that experience. Um, and yeah. I think, like, which is why, just to go back to the article I wrote, and the reason I feel so strongly about this whole thing in the art world is that when you actually meet people in London whose lives are being wrecked at the moment, you just think to yourself, "What the hell am I doing?" How can I write another review? How can I go to another exhibition? How can I put an exhibition on? That is what is important to me. And I mean, maybe it's unreasonable to be to feel so strongly about this, but at least, I'm, I'm, like I say, I'm not saying the whole art world has to be this way, but I just think it's it's almost impossible to turn away from once yeah. once you see the reality of what's going on. I mean... But it's yeah. perfectly reasonable to, to, for the art world to, content, to, to, to have that those feelings and those ideas and interests within it. I mean, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're completely art, legitimate in, in wanting, it, want, wanting it to do stuff. that. <laughs> well, containing is an interesting word, but hopefully not containing it to the point of suppression. I mean, that, no, hopefully, no, but, hopefully it doesn't contain it. And I guess this, was your, this is your criticism of institutional critique, and I would um, agree with you in some 
in some instances of institutional critique, it, it allows it to be contained and acknowledged for the length of an exhibition and then to be glossed over, oh, next show. We've dealt with and that. And we've forgotten about that subject now. We've forgotten about imprisonment now. Um, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I'm just, yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree. I, I agree completely. I just think it's just amazing. And if you go to the biennials as well, I just came back from Liverpool Biennial, there's nothing in there. It's like, it's like you'd be like, why, is it, why have people voted out? You would have no inkling. You wouldn't know what austerity was. <laughs> like, I'm just no. like. No, you're just what you. I think. I think <laughs> you say no, no. I can, I do, you're, you're amazed by the lack of but reflection people will talk on, about, on realities. People will talk about virtual reality. People will talk about object-oriented um, ontology until the cows come home. Yeah. <laughs> like what the hell? Yeah, I guess this is why I find um, Yvonne Rayner's work. Like this is why I'm kind of coming. And again, she's from that same period that we're that we were just kind of what, what, I don't want to say harking back to because I don't want to like think oh it's only in the nostalgic. 70s that this great stuff was happening but someone who actually like was prizing open what she was doing um and being part of the um being part of the protests against the war in Vietnam but then you know she talks in her autobiography about someone calling her out about her particular access to the art world and she feels guilty during this meeting, during this political meeting, um, because she she realises that partly her access to the art world is very privileged and partly through association with Robert Morris and XYZ artists. And she's talking about these problems and trying to prise them open. And then she she builds on those problems in subsequent works. And And it's a continual interrogation of her position that I find really brilliant and that is often lacking i think uh, but you know i think also it's worth saying that a lot of those people from the 70s aren't doing much now <laughs> they yeah, might have been doing stuff back then by now. <laughs> yeah no but they might have been doing stuff back then because everyone's jumping on the vietnam bandwagon oh my god it's really bad we've got to do something about mm. it what i'm trying to say is just because something's not all over the news doesn't mean it's important not important yeah. Everyone wanted to jump up and talk about we've got to remain in the, in the EU. But what happened with the housing and planning bill? What happened? Well, it was ignored by another <laughs> thing. And, it's just and like... what happened with the junior doctor's strike? Like that, there was a bill passed the same... Yeah, I mean, yeah. I just think I'm not the trying to accuse anyone. I'm not trying to accu- accuse anyone. I'm just saying like, there's stuff happening in Britain at the moment that is as powerful as what's happening in Palestine, what's happening in the Middle East. And we need... I just feel like... Um, it's not, I'm not yeah, trying to say a, we shouldn't pay attention to those things. It's, well as, it's well, they're all yeah. connected. The same. They're it's all connected. connected. Yeah. They're all connected. Yeah. Yeah. But like this oversight of what's happening domestically leads, I think, to this like totally being blindsided by uh, the EU and thinking, oh, it's because um, everybody in the regions is a racist. Yeah, and I guess again, like, okay, sure, yeah. I'm going to valorise Eva Rayner's work till the cows come home. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe I, I want to read a lot. I want to look at a lot more of her work. But the man who envied women is a is a work in which she looks at problems of housing in New York at that time and and the lack of access to housing. What's happening in terms of social cleansing, gentrification? That's another. You know, she does look at the small and the large problems. And I think that's why I find Chris Krauss a problematic figure in that way because she looks at the problems and she says, "I'm just gonna." encompass all of these problems and say well that's just what happens in the art world and that's why I find her her work much as I like Chris Krause's writing to be really problematic in this way that I kind of conclude back round to and say maybe she set a precedent for a particular attitude and I would say 
just push, 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 push against stuff. Push against things. Don't worry about personal risk. I know I'm not articulating it very well. I'm probably going to think, oh, I should have said these things loads better. But I just think there's too much at stake to sort of sit back and be like, I'm already complicit. There's nothing I can do. I agree. Burn your bridges. Yeah. <laughs> well said. Thank you for your genuine feelings and sentiments and thoughts, guys. Really very lively programme. Much appreciated. Thank you, listeners. Uh, This has been Art Monthly Talk Show on Resonance. And um, Art Monthly Talk Show is based on two features in the current issue of Art Monthly, July, August 2016. And you can subscribe to that on www.artmonthly.co.uk. And the usual exciting end from Matt Hale. Goodbye.